Hello, everyone, and thank you once again for joining us on the HR Grapevine podcast. I'm your host today, Benjamin Broomfield, editor-at-large for HR Grapevine, and I'm joined by Cherie Acheson. Cherie is the Global Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion at Valtech, which is home to over 6,000 employees in more than 20 countries. She's listed as one of the UK's top most influential women in tech and as an international multi-award winner for her services to diversity and inclusion in industry. In 2013, she launched and led the award-winning UK expansion of Women Who Codes, the world's largest nonprofit globally dedicated to women in tech, where she's now an advisory board member. Thanks to her immense background in diversity, inclusion and technology, there are perhaps few more qualified to talk about today's topic, which is the relationship between AI and diversity, equity and inclusion. Shuri, welcome to the podcast. Wonderful. Thank you for having me today, Benjamin. Absolutely. Well, we're we're diving straight in at the deep end. Uh, first question today is that based on an observation you've made that rich companies are more able to effectively utilize AI to benefit their people, whilst those in poorer countries are maybe not able to invest to the same scale. What implications does that have for international or global companies? I think when we think of technology advancement, it's really important to think about what that means from a geographical perspective. Um, all countries do are not able to invest in the same way. Um, and I think it's it would be silly to forget about that when we're talking about something that could potentially change how we do everything. Um, and I think that the real implication of that is that we we could end up widening the gaps that already exist if we're not really, really careful. You know, when we create solutions, when we are investing, you know, for example, you know, the European Union will invest in the countries that sits under that. Um, when we look at the investment, for example, when it comes to the Middle East and so on, we see huge discrepancies, of course, across the countries and regions there that have significantly more money, revenue, GDP and so on than the countries that do not. Um, and what I think is important in that conversation is recognising how we embrace change, embrace technology, embrace AI, but without creating this huge gap that already exists and making it wider. And the way I think we need to do that is one being very cognizant of those differences when we're, when we're creating these changes and not sort of thinking about them afterwards, but also when we start to advance and come up with new solutions and so on, how we share and distribute that knowledge as well. Um, I think there will always be ownership of new technology solutions and so on, but how do we still share best practices, um, core principles, core knowledges and so on, so that people don't get left behind based on their geographical location. Um, that's that's ultimately equity in in its most baseline form is, is making sure people are not left behind. And do you think that that issue almost becomes more, at least more evident in global in global companies where you have employees under the same roof, in the same meetings, in the same teams, in the same divisions, same departments, but who are working in two very different contexts? I think almost the opposite when it comes to global companies. Um, for the most part. When we start to roll out strategies or in, in any global company, there's a real, there should be, and for the most part, people that are doing it well are doing this, um, are really taking awareness and, and are cognizant of the different entities they are in. So when they are creating global strategies, there is the embracing of that local nuance. Um, it's when we start to go outside of what we can control. So for example, it's very easy to control the decisions you make within the company that you set as a VP or wherever it is. Um, but it's outside of that that we could potentially lose that when we start to see um, societal changes and so on. So at a, when it comes into a company perspective, it's almost easier to embra em embrace those nuances, to put in place those structures and processes so that people don't get left behind because 
they're all under the same company, they're all under the same structure, and ultimately, at some level, will be under the same leadership too. So it's easier to distribute that knowledge. It's easier to make sure that when we are investing in AI, in different technology solutions for our people, that we do so across the board um, because they are our people, they are our employees. And what does it mean then in particular for equity and inclusion teams or diversity, equity, inclusion leaders within organisations that are then looking to adopt AI or to become AI centric? How can they then think about the implications that that it might have for different groups of employees? Yeah, I mean, I think if AI is used right, it can it can help us with a lot of different things. You know, it can really help us mitigate bias if it's done correctly. It can help us streamline processes and enable people and humans to focus on the creative side of things, to focus on the things that um, are not repeatable, for example. Um, and I think when I think of it from an inclusion perspective, my my main focus or my main use case of being able to use that is when we think about hiring, when we think about how we are investing in training people um, as well, using AI too. And I think we can utilize that as well when we think about reskilling people too. You know, there will be roles that will not necessarily exist because of automation and so on. And that is likely to disproportionately impact those in, in lower paid jobs. So there's also an impact here on how we can use the very thing that's removing those jobs to help upskill people um, as well, creating new career paths, um, which I think can be can be really a really exciting opportunity if it's done well. Definitely. And later on in the podcast, we'll dive into really how AI can be an inclusion enabler, especially mm. for people who are who are maybe don't usually experience those opportunities for growth or advancement in, in their career. Yeah. Um, but b- before we come on to that, um, I wanted to touch on something else that, that, that you mentioned that so much of the diversity, equity and inclusion work that we do is around unraveling historic inequities, historic mm-hmm. biases that have been built into the DNA of companies, into societies. So now we're at the point in time where there's this huge paradigm shift with everything that, that comes with, with AI. How can we make sure that we create the right infrastructure and right provisions for equity and AI now to avoid having to work backwards and, and course correct all those mistakes in the future? Yeah, I, th- I think the best way to think about this is how do we be proactive instead of reactive, which is kind of basically what you what you said. Um, I think what's what's really key is that we have checks and balances in place. We we cannot create any solution, AI or any technology solution, without having appropriate checks and balances in place to be sure that we are not taking the bias that may exist in the people creating that and embedding it right into the system. And the only way to do that is to have very clear um testings at every single stage, whether that's the requirement stage, the design stage, the rollout stage, and so on, that we're very, very clear on, are we checking that this works for group X and group Y and all of the other groups that may exist? How are we ensuring that it works for, for example, disabled people? Are we doing that um, or are we making assumptions? Um, And that means a lengthier process. It means that we have to really do due diligence with this. Um, And sometimes when it comes to fast-paced technologies, that can be forgotten about. But what's really dangerous in this scenario is that if we roll out something like that utilizes AI or embeds AI in our processes, um, like you've said, it's really hard to retrospectively change that after. Um, what we should do is you know, take that extra bit of time embedding all of those checks and balances and processes, holding ourselves to a very high standard as well, um, because there isn't necessarily regulations to the level that we may need across the world yet, um, we should as companies certainly hold ourselves to a standard to make sure that we are not um, embedding the bias that that can very easily exist in, in all of our different people. 
I suppose that, that that can be quite difficult to do, especially in a case as, as with AI, where it's it's the latest new toy. Everyone wants to to play with it and Everyone's try it, and even if they're not <laughs> admitting it in the workplace, they're they're using it. So when there there is this type of technology that is spreading like wildfire within yeah. organizations, how how can DEI leaders really just just sort of try and slow the brakes on on that conversation and make sure that it's being done in the right way? Yeah, and and I think it's 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 simple in many many ways. It's putting in place levels of accountability. When we want to use this, why, how, when, and who does it affect? And really making sure that we track all of this information. And we can't just utilize incredibly powerful systems and um, just because we want to. We have to have clear reasoning. We have to understand actually who does it impact and why. Um, and make sure that we are in many ways forcing people to think about all of these things up front. Um, and that is, you know, there's usually something along the lines of an accountability council or something that pulls together different people in the business to do that, whether that's your chief tech officer, your chief legal officer, your DNI lead and so on, to make sure that we have all of those different perspectives fleshing out actually when do we use this? When does it make the most sense actually to use it? Sometimes it doesn't even make sense to use it, but like you've said, everybody likes to play. And then how does that impact people and what do we do in those scenarios? I think as long as we put checks and balances in place and we hold ourselves to the standard where actually there's times we say, yes, that makes sense, but also no, that doesn't make sense as well. You know, we have when we put things like this in place, we have to be willing to have those difficult conversations, which sometimes means saying, no, that's not the right thing for this. Absolutely. Obviously, you want you want that innovation and experimentation mm -hmm. and that pace of change and almost that freedom within a framework model. But you, you still have to have that framework yeah. in place. Exactly. Um, yeah. P people yeah. Uh, like imaginations are a really exciting thing. Um, and I think, you know, when, when I look at I, I I was born in the 90s and grew up in the 90s and you have that huge like sort of curve of technology you know, you have a lot of gaming systems. People started being able to, you know, buy holidays on the internet instead of like CFAX or stuff like that. And I remember even then the, the that technology boom and how amazing that was and imaginative and innovative. But in the same way, we're going through something similar now. There's this huge, very fast curve of new things coming out regularly. Um, but we're now in a position to really put those checks and balances in so that when we do utilize this, when we do create new solutions like we do at Valtech, for example, um, that we do so in exciting ways, but also in the best ways for all of the people it affects, not just the majority groups, for example, or a subset of people too. I think just being really cognizant of that can be really impactful. Definitely. I think especially with a technology like this, that someone mm. tries something new, they see how see how it benefits one particular group or even yes. the overwhelming majority, and, and that benefit is the headline, right? You see, AI can be used for this, for this yeah. particular task. We never thought that that could happen, but yeah. actually having, as you say, those checks and balances in place to say, well, yeah, it may deliver that benefit, but let's <laughs> consider yeah. all the impacts that, that it has. Absolutely. Exactly, exactly. Um, I wanted to, to dive into uh, a few sort of specific cases as well within the organization and, and across the employee experience. And one of the areas was was around an observation, again, that, that you shared that AI looks most likely to take the jobs that are repeatable, which are typically mm -hmm. held by those who are in lower pay backgrounds, mm -hmm. those from poorer socioeconomic backgrounds. So what structural or cultural changes can HR leaders make to ensure that those individuals aren't being treated inequitably or aren't experiencing yeah. unfavorable outcomes? 
I think I think there's there's, there's sort of three steps to this. Or it was probably more, but if we're being short about it, three steps. I think the first one is being very honest about what are the roles that are likely to be automated. And um, I think we, we can't sort of bury our heads in the sands. We have to be honest. If if we can see that we're going to utilize AI in various different ways, what are the roles that are likely to change? Um, two, then understanding the skills and the the skills gaps potentially of those folks in those roles as well. I think that the key thing is recognizing in point two is that just because our role may be changed or um, may not exist in the same way, that doesn't mean skills that those people have isn't relevant for other roles, that isn't relevant for other spaces. Sometimes that means thinking about things from different perspectives and different lenses, but skills are transferable. I think also skills gaps are fillable too. And, and the third point of that is when we recognize those skills gaps for people moving into potentially different roles and so on, is that we have the responsibility to help grow the, that skill set with those folks and um, we have the responsibility to help um help people grow their careers in potentially different avenues if they're interested in and as well really looking at how we exacerbate economic equality there too i think it's really key that we we recognize that ai can be utilized in a way that's exciting and new and help free up people to do something else but that's the key point is to do something else. It's not to necessarily just remove those people and then that's it. There's a lot of valuable skills there from people even having just been in the workforce, the ability to learn from them, to utilize that skill in a different way. And that and that's our role. That's our role. Our role is to to find places for people and recognize that they bring an important skill set for them where they're, they're not just, you know, simply moved around, but actually it's important that they're there. And do you think as well it's it's important for employees to really be aware of that and for companies to communicate that as well? Because I suppose that there's a lot of fear, particularly from those individuals at the moment as well, that that AI is going to replace their jobs, that they're yeah. going to use their job to AI. So of course. Do, yeah, do companies, I suppose, sort of need to need to make it clear that what they're planning to do is to sort of reskill people and make sure that those career paths, those, those other opportunities are made more visible? Exactly. Absolutely. I think, you know, employer employers have a responsibility to care for their employees. And um, we have a response. And I certainly feel that responsibility at Valtech for all of this almost six thousand people we have. You know, the work that I do impacts every single person. And of course, there will be people that um, it will connect with more than others. But my responsibility is to everybody. And likewise, for companies, when it comes to AI, you know, we have a responsibility and an accountability of transparency, we have to be transparent about the decisions we make at you know senior executive level, and um, that will affect everybody. Um, and again, recognizing that there's those three steps. You know, we recognize that we we may utilize this tool, we may utilize technology in a different way. This means that there are certain roles that may change, and this is what we will do to help you in your career into something else if you're interested in that. Um, that's our responsibility when when we have the privilege of having someone that works with us. Um, we have the responsibility to help them grow at the same time. Absolutely, a lot of that growth, you know, might well be in in areas such as uh, such as AI, of course. But <laughs> I wanted to to come back in a way to to the conversation we we're having around checks and balances, but more so from the employee perspective. Um, yeah. For you know your your day to day run in the mill employee, what sort of training do you think that they might need to make sure they they know how to use AI in a way that is equitable? Um, and again, that that they almost sort of know how to go about going through those those processes of of accountability checks or, or checks and balances. What, what yeah, of, of course. Um, I think the the first thing with any of this is awareness. Um, awareness on actual biases that exist. I think it's very easy for us 
to assume, especially if it's in our area of expertise, to know about the different biases, to think of whether it's affinity bias or recency bias or you know halo horn bias and all those main ones. Very easy for us to assume that, oh yeah, of course everybody knows that. That's very obvious. It may not be obvious. Um, and it's really important that when we rule out something like AI, for example, that um we spend the time educating and providing awareness to people on the actual biases first, before we even talk about AI, what are the main biases that can exist and how do they manifest in processes and actually how do they come to life in ourselves, you know, when we're drawn to certain people or we're pushed away from certain people as well. The next thing then is how does that then happen within the system that you are creating or the AI that you're using and creating? And what's really important in that point is that people spend the time doing that overlay if you think about you know the overall education and then the overlay into what we're actually doing and how ai can impact what we're what we're talking about um i think we have to provide that education for people we have to provide that training and it has to be specific to um the other key part as well is that when it comes to ever creating something or rolling it out that they have a key awareness of the framework to gather advice and um, insights if they don't know themselves who can I go to for help if I'm not sure if this is the right thing um, again we can't assume that everybody knows the same stuff as we do so that's where that those that console that that sort of checks and balances comes into place and then lastly actually how do we use it um I think it's also you know we're, we're in an environment now especially in technology companies I think the average age is around 35 to 37 um and you could argue that most people in that age group will have grown up with technology, using technology, being very used to and um, what that means. But there's a really important point here as we use technology more and more in our workplaces, in our day to day, that we also ensure that those who are not exposed to or have not been exposed to technology in the same way, whether it's through those formative years or through just, again, geographical location and so on, that we provide the knowledge on actually how to do this um, and that's very simply like a how-to um, because we we can't leave people behind um, and that can be from an age perspective that can be from a geographical perspective a disability perspective and so on um, so it's really important that we we tackle training from all of those avenues so that we sort of move forward with purpose and together at the same time. Absolutely. Uh, before we move on to consider some of the really exciting ways that AI can be used to improve inclusion, improve employee experience mm. in areas such as that, I just wanted to ask, are there any other sort of really important responsibilities or other roles that DEI leaders can play in just preparing their organizations um, to make sure they're getting the best out of AI in, in the months and years to come? Yeah, I, I think in all honesty, it's 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 about starting it now and starting thinking about it now, even if you're not at the stage where actually we're really starting to use this regularly, et cetera, et cetera. The conversation is going to keep consisting or it's going to keep expanding. It's going to keep going and it's coming around and more and more and more. Um, clients are asking for it more. Um, suppliers are more interested in their approach too. So ultimately, start to think about it now and start to pioneer those conversations if you need to with your chief tech officer, with your chief product officer and so on to make sure that as they are probably already thinking about this, that the DNI lens is not lost, that you're not just tacking it on later when a strategy has already been created. Absolutely. That relationship building, I think, is, is really yeah, important, key. obviously, for, for AI, but for any technology, mm. really, that's oh, yeah, being brought definitely. out. But, uh, absolutely. Well, yeah, let's dive into this, this really exciting area of some of the ways that AI can, can be used as an inclusion enabler. How mm. do you think that AI can potentially provide opportunities for growth and advancement for those who maybe have historically been overlooked or who have experienced bias in, in pushing for opportunities in, in their current role? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's there's some real exciting ways that if we use AI right, we can we can look at really great talent matching, for example. So being able to find talent in the market um, and then matching that with requirements without the need of someone going side by side and um, with CVs and so on. I think there's also ways around how we can identify potential discrimination in the workplace, again, using AI when those solutions evolve. Um, I think there's a real ability to those things that feel quite mundane um, using AI to be able to change those. Um, I also think it means that when we look at how we support disabled folks um, on a, such a broad spectrum when you think of disability, but even something as small as generating alt text, for example, on images, um, whilst that's quite small, um, or sounds quite small, it's actually not small, um, it sounds like quite a small thing, it has such a big impact, but it's also something that people, humans, forget to do so regularly. If we had something in place where that was done by default, well, that would be very, very wonderful. And then how that expands again, when we look at how we provide transcripts, for example, um, and, and so on, um, then we have transcripts that are translated into all different languages that your company may use. All of these different things that um, can make everyday inclusion much smoother. I think that's where the real magic with AI from an inclusion perspective can happen. Absolutely. And expanding beyond uh, inclusion more to the broader ex employee experience. And there are any other ways that DEI teams can or HR leaders can use AI itself to help improve that employee experience? I, I think those are the the main ones. I think when I when I think of using this, I think as well of being able to provide sort of um tailored training opportunities as well, being able to really understand employees and engaging them with educational programs almost which feels bespoken on a one-to-one -one basis using AI, which is very hard to do, of course, at scale as a singular team or person. But being able to utilize something that can help with that, I think, um, is is a really big piece as well, sort of engaging in learning and development. Fantastic. And the last question I just wanted to touch on, are there any predictions that you've got for how you expect organizations to use or equally to misuse AI in 2024 and beyond? Um. I, I think we're gonna we're gonna see it being embedded a lot more in our hiring processes. I think that's going to be something that already, you know, we see quite a lot of startups focusing in on debiasing hiring processes using AI and so on. And I think that's probably from a DNI perspective, that's gonna be the main focus with it for the next year or two. Um because there's a lot of tweaks, there's a lot of kinks that need ironed out, um, and there's a lot of due diligence that needs to happen on that. Um and I guess if I think of, you know, things to be cautious of it's it's always that we 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 do not put the bias that we have as people straight into a technology solution that can impact millions thousands tens of people whatever it is and um, i think that's the only thing and the main thing really that we have to be consistently cognizant of that we have to be proactive about equitable ai not reactive because that just doesn't work Absolutely. But I think that's a, a fantastic note to end on. And hopefully Perfect. we've given our listeners a lot of really great proactive tips to, to take away, coming in with that awareness of these issues, building those relationships with, with different teams and, and creating those opportunities for, for upskilling and, and training and being really communicative around that. So Cherie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the HR Grapevine podcast. It's been wonderful to talk with you. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Benjamin.